Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, the team are resting, but there's no let-up as City moved to within two points of Jürgen's boys at the top of the Premier League. Coming up this week, we'll discuss which players could step up and play a big part in the second half of the season. Look forward to the visit to Bournemouth, as well as open things up to your questions. As ever, let's start with those three words. Come on, Andy. Uh, I'm going to go with a quite simple one. Uh, Well-deserved break. James? Uh, refreshed and ready. Don't you worry. The end of the transfer window will take you back to those low power levels. <laughs> right. Let's see what they're saying over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Ian Hartley, don't stop believing. John Weller, taking a breather. Sam O'Kerstrom Lang, bring it on. And Damien Smith, moving through gears. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Oh, James, you're refreshed. Other team refreshed. This break came along at the right time, as far as I could see. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know, I was in the, the press conference post-match after the first leg against Fulham, and the last question to Klopp was, you know, how much are you looking forward to to this 11-day hiatus between fixtures? And he said... My English is not good enough to put that in words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that a replay against Arsenal wasn't required, because that would have properly thrown a spanner in the works. But um, yeah, I think players and staff have had this little period in the diary circled for quite a long time because it's been such a punishing run of games through December, early part of January. And yeah, especially with what everyone knows is ahead with so much at stake, so many games still competing on four fronts. It's going to be pretty non-stop and frenetic from from here on in. So um, yeah, it's been, you know, you... A bit of envy looking at all those social media pics of players uh, lapping up the sunshine in 30 degrees uh, over in Dubai. I think a lot of them seem to have uh, headed over to compared to shoveling snow in Egberth in Liverpool. But um, they they definitely deserve it. And um, yeah, hopefully you just want to see them maintain the momentum that had been built up before the break. You wouldn't like Dubai, James. Honestly, you wouldn't. There's, you know, <laughs> it's it's not great. Dubai, obviously, is one place that uh, players go. But Cy Hughes has actually done it right. He's taken his midwinter break in the Ivory Coast. And why has he gone there? Oh, for the football. And he was there to see Mo Salah score a last-minute penalty to equalise for Egypt against Mozambique. Let's hear what he's been doing out there at the Africa Cup of Nations. Well, I would say the atmosphere at Egypt's first game was was low key compared to the, <laughs> to the opening game uh, involving Ivory Coast a day earlier. 
yeah, it was it was a live, totally different atmosphere to the day before. But as I say, it sort of got it got louder as the game went on. I, I felt that at the start of the game that the crowd was mainly behind Salah, but then given the shock on the cards, Mozambique, you know, I don't have a great deal of pedigree in this tournament. The crowd really fed off the energy of the Mozambique team, and by the end, if there were neutrals in the ground, they, they certainly wanted Mozambique to win. And it is a penalty to Egypt. Silouan, is this a moment for him to make history? It isn't because Salah has brought Egypt level 2-2 deep into stoppage time. And the Pharaohs and record African champions have got out of jail. Salah's penalty in off the post. Uh, it's a great penalty. Uh, he didn't really celebrate very much. Just shows a trotter back to the centre circle. A really disappointing result for them. But I'd, I'd been in the team hotel uh, four hours before the game managed to, to get in. And, you know, I would say the atmosphere is quite tense. I think Egypt are definitely here to win. If they think that they can win. Obviously, there's the story about Salah not winning AFCON before. I don't think it can be overstated how important that this, this tournament is for Mohamed Salah. I mean, he, he might he might have other opportunities in the future if he, if he plays as long as, it, as long as he currently thinks he can. But um, maybe it's the last chance for this Egyptian team that he's been a part of for so long to, to really be a contender. It was put like this to me the other day. He is regarded as, as the best Egyptian footballer of all time. Possibly not the greatest because has maybe struggled to express himself at times in a, in a very strange political climate. There must be that. That must be added as well. So, yeah, uh, uh, there's a lot at stake here. I think the worst case scenario for Liverpool would be if he gets to the late stages, particularly the final and loses. We saw two years ago the effect that had on him. So I think it would actually be better for everyone concerned that if he got to the final and won and then he'd finish off the season, you know, in a really sort of confident manner. Well, that's brilliant. And you know what? The one thing is, I, I went out there for... Uh, the final a decade ago and it's an experience that really is worth having it should be on your bucket list it's um, amazing to see football in Africa but back to the United Kingdom and back to the Premier League let's talk about the players who we think are going to have main roles in the coming months and I mean we yeah, we know Alisson is going to be crucial we know Van Dijk and we know you know we know Salah and we know but you wrote a piece about Curtis Jones, Andy. Obviously, in the last, well, best part of a year, 10 months, he's grown and grown in stature. And this could be, really, his defining period. Definitely. Um, yeah, it was a piece sort of just reflecting his growing influence on the team and, and how it, it does sort of stem back from when he came into the team last season. And I think I remember back to, it was Chelsea away, wasn't it, when he came in and I remember sort of the eye rolls and, oh, what's, what, what's it, why is he playing him and, and stuff like that back then, the, the, the mumblings and grumblings that, that sort of, I mean, to be fair, with, with every team selection every week at that point, <laughs> given the way the season had gone. But then, you know, the next game is Arsenal and, and that's when the formation shift comes in and it, it just looks like it's a system that, that suits him down to the ground and, and is, I think, understated importance to it in terms of being the glue. You know, while, while there's, there's so many attacking players around him, he feels like he knits everything together and, and can put a bit of a, can slow things down. Sometimes that's detrimental to the team, but I think, you know, it also does help, you know, 
who sustain attacks and then every time Klopp talks about him he talks about the counter pressing and the the work rate and, and again he's you know he's right up the top in, in terms of, of pressure. I think it's only Harvey Elliott per ninety who who's putting more in. I think he's joint with Gakpo. But the the most recent element he's added to his game it appears is is, is in front of goal and it's it's four goals in six games and, and looking through it was really interesting to look at the, the data really in that in, in the last six games he's had, he'd taken 18 shots and had 27 touches in the box. And, and in the 15 games before that, he'd only had 12 shots and only taken 27 touches in the box. So immediately it's the difference in, in how, you know, the areas he's getting into. And you see the goals, you know, the Newcastle one, he's, he's basically on the line, isn't he, when he taps it in. And the two against West Ham again, bursting into the box, one, you know, from a run on the ball, one one from a run off the ball. And it's just the different things he's adding to his game. And I think it's fair to say Curtis Jones over the years has, has brought a lot of, you know, what what type of player is he? How does he fit? And he's he's now put himself in a position where he, f- he could fit into any team in any sort of position in that midfield because of all the different things he's added to his game. And it was I, I think his, his influence is, is only going to increase this season as the season goes on, but then for, for many more years to come. Yeah, I mean, James, for me, he's, I mean, it's a different sort of player, he's a wine album, but having a similar impact. And sometimes it can go unnoticed the way he does. Yeah, I, th- I think he's massively underappreciated, not by everyone, but I think in terms of the kind of, you'd say, the wider fan base in terms of certain players, I think at times maybe get praise that is probably beyond what they're producing week in week out yet I think Curtis Jones very much fits into that category of sometimes it's almost begrudging and I I don't don't quite understand it I don't whether it's linked to the fact that he is a homegrown talent and he wasn't brought in for for a lot of money but the, the reality is if Curtis Jones was playing anywhere else and you were watching him closely week in week out you know, if Liverpool were about to buy him for thirty or forty million pound, you'd think, "Wow, you know, that's a really exciting move." That I certainly would, and 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 also, I think the big thing for him has obviously been staying fit because Andy mentioned that Chelsea game. I remember speaking to Curtis after that game, and he'd, he'd had such a horrendous run with this really strange kind of stress response on like the bone now down near his ankle, and he, you know, he he talked about how. He wouldn't. He couldn't train more than I think it was three or four days on the spin because they had to keep on managing it. So yeah, it's been just great to see him get back to to this level. I think it's it's a massive indication of of why you need to give young players time, isn't it? Because I think you know he is only still twenty two. It feels like he's been around for for ages, and, and to be fair, he has because he sort of came on the first team scene when he was seventeen. You know, when he came through, he was the the goals and assists, and I think he's even admitted himself that sort of pressing and the defensive side of things that that wasn't his that wasn't his business type thing. That was for other people to do, and you know he's learned that. But I think at times in in, in Klopp teams previously, he's in that sort of workman like midfield, if you like, where you've you've sort of struggled to see you know where you get the attacking instincts from, and almost he's had to cave those. Now you're seeing how. He mesh it all together basically, and the system certainly helps it. But I think also just that natural development. Not every player is going to be Trent, where from very very quickly you can just see what a talent it is. You know, sometimes players do need time and do need that that little bit of extra fair play to Klopp and the coaching staff and Jones himself for for you know not not panicking I guess and and just sticking with the process. And you know now you're getting the the, the results and you, you see the baseline of now his performance levels and. You're just excited about where it could go next and just how influential he can become. James, um, 
Who else do you think we need to step up? You know, who's perhaps not been contributing as much as the talent um, suggests? You know, if we're going to hold Manchester City at bay. I mean, it's difficult to pick. I, I, if I was having to pick one, I'd probably say Ryan Gravenberg, just because I just get the feeling with him there's there's a lot more there. I think we've only really seen flashes of what he's capable of so far. He seems to be one of those players who's enduring the classic introduction to Premier League football and finding the pace and physicality just a little bit too much for me. He hasn't quite found his feet yet. He's, he's not had that pre-season, has he? I think... That's a massive thing, you know. He comes in on on the last day of the transfer window, doesn't he? And you know, I, I, you know the importance of a Klopp preseason really for players to to really not just get used to the the new league and the you know the new surroundings, but just get used to Klopp's system. And because I think it, you know, it, it can be underappreciated sometimes just how much thought has to go into it. And I think we saw it with with Darwin Nunes last year that it took him until really this season to to properly understand the pressing system, when to go, where to be at all times. And it's not just a case of putting yourself in the right position every five minutes. It's constantly every second you need to be here when everyone else is here. And it, I think it's a, there's a lot of thinking and it feels like he's he's in that stage, Gravenberg, where he's still thinking on the pitch, thinking on his feet rather than it being natural. And I think I think that that's part of the problem. If, if he'd had a pre-season, I would expect he'd be further along on his journey. But you look at Endo and... Okay, he's done it, doing it quicker than Gravenberg, but he's also getting had consistent starts to get to that point. Whereas Gravenberg's in and out, you know, a couple of little injury niggles here and there. Um, so I think it it is just a case of, of biding the time with him. I think you've just got to be patient, and again, you've got to just remember the age of of, of a player. I think he's twenty one. So again, it's just this is a player who shouldn't be at his best for another six years, if you like, and he's already at, at a, a certain level where you're like really excited. So I think it, it is by the time, but I think, yeah, he, he, there's, a, there's a potential that he, you know, you know, could step up. It's time now to go beyond the frame with Google Pixel, the official mobile phone of Liverpool Football Club, where James looks back on Connor Bradley's role in the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg victory over Fulham. Beyond the frame. With Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. We're just leaving Anfield and I've got to say I was massively impressed by the contribution of young Connor Bradley to a hard-fought victory for Liverpool which has put them within touching distance of another Wembley final in the Carabao Cup. There was a lot of concern, quite understandably, when the news broke that Trent Alexander-Arnold was facing three weeks out with uh, a lateral ligament injury in his, in his left knee and especially on the back of all the other absentees in Klopp's squad at the moment and people wondering how on earth they would cope. But um, Bradley has been waiting patiently in the wings. He had a fantastic time out on loan at Bolton last season in terms of really helping kick on his his development. I think we would have seen a lot more of him in a Liverpool shirt before now, but for the uh, stress fracture in his back he suffered in pre-season, that kept him out for most of the first half of the season. But you know he's he's got back, he's proved his fitness 
And um, he also, I think, proved to a hell of a lot of Liverpool fans with that performance against Fulham that he's got a big, big future. I think the, the Northern Irishman can really hold his head up high, both defensively. You, know, you look at his stats, six tackles, more than anyone else in, in the Liverpool side. Interception, he gained possession on six occasions, but also I think in possession, he was really tidy, completed 49 of his 56 passes, and that's 88% completion rate. Two key passes as well in terms of creating opportunities. And he was he was a whisker away from an assist with a brilliant cross for Darwin Nunes that, um, you know, the goal was only averted by a fantastic save from, from Leno late on. So, um, yeah, a night to cherish. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. We just heard that Jordan Henderson can leave Saudi Arabia after Al Etifak agreed to terminate his contract. They've also agreed to let him leave their training camp in Dubai and return to England as he searches for a new club. Well, we're just going to get into the Q&A and, um, and talk about Liverpool contracts. But... Before we get to this Q&A, I think we've got a serious question we need to ask. What was going on in Jordan Henderson's mind? Why did he go? Why is he coming back? Why am I so amused by it all? Yeah, it's um, not a massive shock, is it, that his time in Saudi now appears to be drawing to a close. We talked about it last week, didn't we, that, that he wanted to come back to Europe, you know, a whole host of reasons all very predictable in terms of, you know, his family having not settled over there, the conditions in terms of, the, you know, the the weather, the training facilities, the standard obviously not being great, concerns about his England spot ahead of the Euros. And despite some bullish tones initially coming out of Etafak that, you know, no, he's going nowhere, blah, 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 that I, I, I never really paid much credence to that. And he's now got that agreement in principle in extended talks with Ajax about a contract with them that Ajax looked like the most likely destination for him on a permanent deal rather than an initial loan you know I could, it's been a nightmare really for Henderson hasn't it when you think you know he was far too hasty deciding to leave Liverpool certainly far too hasty in terms of grasping that opportunity to go to Saudi I don't think he fully contemplated the damage he was doing to his his own reputation as well as his own footballing career by going over there. And now, you know, he's left to count the cost of that. Certainly cost him a fair bit financially as well when you think of the money he's given up. But I think just how desperate he was to come back and the fact he was able to to make, well, he was he was willing to make those financial sacrifices just shows how unhappy he was. So, um, yeah, it's going to be intriguing. If it is Ajax, which is it looks like it will be, it's going to be intriguing to see how that one works out. I mean, it's it's almost a case of look what you could have. I mean, Liverpool haven't won anything yet, but look what you could have won if you if you'd you know stuck around and, and wanted to just be a part of 
of, of what Liverpool were trying to build this season um, in in that sense. And as, as James mentioned, there's there's a lot of other stuff surrounding it. But um, I think I think for me, the way sa- the Saudi news the better in a sense in terms of a footballing sense because it makes me feel that from a Liverpool perspective that Mo Salah's Saudi potential journey is less and less likely because it's not just Henderson, is it? There's been a few big names who've gone out there who've, who've um, realised that it's it's not quite what the, uh, they were being sold and you hope that from Liverpool and, and, and Mo Salah's perspective they're, they're listening to those stories and uh, that might mean we uh, we don't have to endure another summer of Mo Salah-Sardi speculation. Which brings us neatly onto the contracts, James. Loads of listeners have asked about Mo, Trent, Virgil. Come on, tell us what's happening. Don't leave anything out. Nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, it has been a real topic of conversation. I think it, it, it feels like a kind of almost unique scenario just in terms of just how influential those three players have been so far this season. I think if you, in fact, if I was picking a three who have contributed more than anyone else, it would be Van Dijk, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mo Salah. You know, you're talking about the top scorer, your captain and your vice-captain, who's also your biggest creative force. And all three just so happened to have entered the last 18 months of their their current contracts. So yeah, the you know, the situation as things stand is that, you know, certainly my information was that nothing is close to being concluded on on that front, but that there isn't really any grumblings or concern on either side. And that, you know, the from all the people I've spoke to on all different, you know, from di- coming in it from different directions, their their attitude was, you, you know, nobody wants any distractions at the moment. You know, there's too much at stake. You know, someone said to me, you know, rewind to August and we thought we'd be competing for a top four finish, not competing for four trophies. So, and I, th- and I think also it, it, it feels very different. If you go back to when Salah had 18 months on his contract last time, he was giving interviews to Spanish newspapers talking about how, you know, yeah, of course, I'd, you know, one day, who knows, I could represent Real Madrid or Barcelona and, you know, saying things like, you know, Liverpool know what I want. It's not crazy stuff. And I think the big difference now is that he, he already has now a contract which he believes properly recognises his talent and contribution to the team uh, and of course Van Dijk having just been made captain and been performing at a ridiculously high level he knows how highly he's appreciated and and obviously the same with Trent the fact that Liverpool have pretty much based their entire system around his his skill set and qualities so um, yeah it's just I think it's just one to keep an eye on at the moment I certainly wouldn't you know I didn't speak to anyone that was alarmed by it or was thinking this is going to lead to one of the three moving on in the summer. I, I still think the most likely outcome is that all three will still be Liverpool players next season. Well, let's see what some of the other listeners have said. Well, actually, you know, get involved in this, people. Send us a voice note like John. Hello, Tony, lads. My question for you this week, Tony and James and Andy, is what is the best non-goal you've seen in Anfield? And by that I mean Trent's shot against Newcastle, hitting the bar. Suarez against Arsenal back in February 14, that hit the post. Is there any non-goal that stands out to you over the years that would have been one of the best goals of all time? It just didn't go in. Nice one, lads. That's an interesting 
concept, isn't it? What's the best non-goal, Andy? Um, yeah, okay. What moment when the ball didn't go in the net really stands out to you and got you off your feet and got you excited? I think, well, I think John's already taken my answer. The Suarez strike against Arsenal, which would have been just unbelievable. And, and it was at, a, at a, a moment, wasn't it? It was during that 25-minute period against Arsenal at the start of that game. It was 5-1, wasn't it? Where Liverpool just absolutely tore them to shreds. And, and that would have been sort of like the icing on the cake in a way. And it was such a good hit, so clean. The pace of it was unbelievable. Like it, it hit the post before it even left, left Suarez's boot. It went that quick. Then you had Colo Torre. You missed an open goal when it came back to him, which sort of added to the, the strangeness of it. But yeah, that was just it was just phenomenal striking. I don't really tend to remember non goals because I always I'm more annoyed that it didn't go in. <laughs> so I try and forget about it so it doesn't annoy me anymore but that one always sticks out yeah I'm a bit just... like that myself you know it's, um, you know, if if it doesn't go in it, it doesn't count yeah they should have scored it no matter no matter if it was from 60 yards or 70 <laughs> but yeah that, that's the one that sticks out Trent the other week put it in will <laughs> yeah it's a shitter James what, I mean what are your thoughts on this yeah I think I'd I'd have to go with how close Jamie Carragher was to the to the perfect farewell at Anfield in in May 2013. Much better defensive header this time from Quinter Park Rangers. Carragher urged to shoot. He will, you know. Oh, that was almost a fabulous farewell. I remember, it was a, it was like typical kind of last day of the season, glorious sun baked afternoon, and and of course for a man who was you know lauded and loved for for stopping goals rather than. Rather than scoring them, he was so close, wasn't he? And I, 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 I do, I do quite often still find myself thinking about it, just in terms of just how close it was to the kind of the, the fairy tale stuff. Because he just turned, didn't he, about thirty yards out? And I don't think if it hadn't been his last game of his career, I don't think he'd have even thought about hitting it. But I think he thought, why not? And he probably never hit a ball so sweetly. So yeah, that that close one from Caro would do for me. Uh, well, when I think of, you know, goals that didn't go in, I have to think of 2005 and the ghost goal <laughs> against Chelsea. Well, hang on, it counters, it counters. Jose, what have we done to you? <laughs> no, it's, um, well, some other questions. Dave Rimmer, uh, every time I read a transfer article about Liverpool, the supposed need for a defensive midfielder is mentioned. What about Enzo up to speed and Basetic on the way back? We don't need a number six, he says. Yeah, I, 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 well, I know what he means. Certainly, in terms of the the January window, I think it, it's probably gone a little bit quiet now. But going back to kind of November time, all the talk was about Andre, wasn't it, at, at Fluminense, and 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 I didn't understand that because you know people I spoke to said, no, 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 that you know why on earth would we sign another holding midfielder? You know, you know, Endo. I think I think there was a bit of kind of disrespect shown to like the the endo signing I think because of the context around it with like the fact that Liverpool had obviously had a long-standing interest in Lavia then had gone for Caicedo missed out on him and then ended up not getting Lavia either I think people again I say Chelsea what have we done to you (laughs) I think because endo was 30 and relatively cheap at 16 million there was almost this idea that well he's obviously a squad option and he's just another body as opposed to the answer yet I think with how much Endo has kicked on in that four or five week period before he went off to the Asia Cup, I think has backed up what the club was saying at the time was was no 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 he was 
the holding midfielder. He was the the Fabinho replacement, if you like. And of course, he, yeah, he's got Basetic to come back in. He's got Thiago for well, hopefully to play some part in the coming months. Obviously, fully expect Thiago to leave when his contract expires in the summer. So I think, yeah, long. Obviously, we know that Endo isn't gonna isn't gonna be a Liverpool player for four, five, six years. I, and I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think, yeah, there's certainly no kind of urgency to recruit a new number six because Klopp seems pretty happy with what he's got in that department. Of course, McAllister has played a lot of football there so far this season. And, you know, I, I, I you know, there was, I think, a fair debate over is that the best use of his skill set? Because I, I like seeing him a bit further forward. But he, he has also had some very good games in that position as well. So, I agree that I don't understand the kind of the kind of speculation around buying a new number six, but I think also we know that when it's a very quiet window, you know, websites that that feed off clicks and desperately trying to generate transfer talk, they they have to find something to uh, to focus on. Mm, yeah, exactly. And there's too many of them out there. That's why you should go to the Athletic. You get none of that stuff, and you get quality writers like these two. Um, Rob Maximus, that's a great name, isn't it? Maximus, I like that. And plenty of others, Andy, are wondering whether Liverpool can capitalise on the transfer paralysis of Premier League clubs in the window. It, it just seems a little bit like the environment we've been preparing for for the past decade, he says. Um, I think this ties into a few things. I mean... One, it's quiet, uh, maybe because everyone's got one eye on the profit and sustainability rules, and we know uh, uh, our friends and relatives at Goodison are, are in mourning because they're going to get like a 200 points <laughs> deduction or something. Anyway, Andy, the original question, you know what I'm trying to say, you know, on the term, we shouldn't just take mindless side swipes are our blue brethren. Yeah, I think... It's it is it has been very quiet, hasn't it? And and even the deals that have been done, large portion of them have been sort of been loans, or so there's not really been any high high profile deals. And I think that as you say, the the profit and sustainability rules, and you know, like some of the bigger clubs like Manchester United, you would expect, given how poorly their season's going, they may have looked at, at the January window in the past as a chance to strengthen, but they can't because of the, of the financial situation. I think Arsenal seem to be. In a similar situation, it does feel like you, the way Liverpool are run, you know, they don't have those problems really, and it does put them in a stronger position to to be able to go out and and as they have done in, in previous Januarys, you know, be open to spend. And I think you, you do look at the summer spend, and it was you know pretty significant for for what Liverpool usually do. Um, so that might you know put them off a little bit. But I think if the right player came became available, then yeah, they they could capitalise because they've got the ability and, and the wiggle room to do it. But say centre half, for example, they're not going to buy a centre half just because people feel they need a centre half. They'll have who they want to buy a centre half, and that if they, if they're not available in the summer until the summer, or you know you, you're adding twenty million on because it's a January transfer. We saw it a couple of years ago when they were crying out for centre half because they had none left. But you know they wanted Canate. They probably could have got got Canate in that January if they'd doubled the price that they, they ended up paying for him. But, you know, they knew about the release clause and they didn't want to disrupt that and they knew they had the money set aside for it. So they waited until the summer and, OK, it could have cost them. It didn't, as bad as it, it nearly looked like it was going to at one point. But I think Liverpool are in a strong position, but they will only capitalise on it if they feel like there's an opportunity to capitalise on it and they won't do it for the sake of it. Luke on Twitter asks, do you think that's it in terms of redevelopment for Anfield now? Or could there be further work? 
Luke also thinks it'd be a brilliant idea to build a stadium in Stanley Park for the ladies' team and have the whole area as an Anfield village of sorts. He doesn't want much, <laughs> does he? <laughs> well, in terms of Anfield redevelopment, yes, from all the conversations I've had in recent years linked to, obviously, first the main stand redevelopment and then the Anfield Road redevelopment, which has come into a conclusion, was that it was very much stage one and stage two and there was no stage three. I think because everything is balanced, isn't it, against cost? You know, how difficult is it going to be to pull this off? What's the cost involved? And then the brutal reality is what's the return going to be? You know, you look at the the main stand was, you know, like a, almost like a no-brainer, really. What was that? I think £115 million, you know, very low interest loan taken out to cover it. And then it instantly generates an extra £12 million a year. So, and the same with the Anfield Road end. You know, of course, there's been problems there in terms of escalating costs and delays and construction companies going going into administration. But that, again, makes perfect sense when you look at the financial projections. But I just don't think that's realistic with the COP or the Sir Kenny Dog Leash stand. So, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't see Anfield going bigger than just under 61,000. And, yeah, I mean, it would be lovely, wouldn't it, to think that there would be kind of, you know, I'd be in favour of that. I'm not sure the people that live around there would want to give up Stanley Park and the beauty of that place to see another stadium plonked in there. But, um, you know, of course it would be great if the women had their own stadium to to play at. But again, it it comes down to finances, doesn't it? You know, there's the club have obviously spent a lot of money buying back Melwood and, and getting that back up to standard for that to be a, a state of the art training ground for them, which is a, an important step forward. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot probably on that front will depend on how much the the women's game continues to grow because because we know that especially for a club with owners like FSG where everything is weighed up against you know the investment compared to the likely return being a self-sustaining business model, you know, that is always going to be the driver for these decisions. Yeah, I think I'd hold off on a women's stadium because, Andy, because, you know, if our blue brethren go under, there'll be a nice spanking <laughs> new dockside stadium, won't it, for the girls to play in? Yeah, that'd be sad, that wouldn't it, yeah. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> no, we're not serious. Well, you know, <laughs> you know what we're thinking. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. One final question, and this is Enzo. 
Enzo, haven't you got something better to do, like packing up in Saudi or checking out houses in Amsterdam? Oh, I'm going to not that, Enzo. Um, and he asks on Twitter, it's been a long time, James, but what's the best KFC experience you've ever had? And this ties in, really, because Bournemouth away last year was your probably KFC low point, wasn't it, where you got eight big buckets <laughs> and just... Sat there and ate them all <laughs> until the grease was running down you, and you were howling in pain. <laughs> oh dear, that was nothing compared to the what I got through at Keel Services after Wolves away. After after Jurgen refused to answer my question, I was desperately trying to find solace in the bottom of the bargain bucket. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I, I must admit, I have been trying to steer clear this season. To try and to try and help with sh- shifting a few pounds, but um, did I did I did pay KFC a visit after that win at the Emirates the other week? But you have to, yeah, it's it's kind of a bit of a, bit of a tactical decision because if 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 the work is all finished, then you can go for the bucket because it, it, you can. But I must admit, after Arsenal away, I had to go boneless banquet because I still had my piece to finish off. So I needed to be able to type <laughs> and it's very difficult to type. It gets all too messy with the grease and the bones <laughs> and everything else. So I had to stick with the boneless stuff after Arsenal away. Probably the, the saddest KFC visit would probably be after the 6-1 at Stoke at the end of the 2014-15 season. That was that was a bleak one, sat in the sat in Keel services with Neil Jones and Andy Kelly and trying to make sense of that afternoon and seeing Liverpool absolutely battered by Stoke whilst getting through a bucket. Yo, walk on pod. It's got everything. Come for the football and stay for the journalism lessons. <laughs> it's hard to type with greasy fingers. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Andy Bournemouth. Let, let's be serious about Bournemouth because they've been doing well, haven't they? And you know they've got um, they've got a striker that we offloaded to the news suddenly emerged as a serious figure. It is another beautiful header from Dominic Solanke, a hat trick. I certainly didn't think he'd be that good. No, he's, he's been really impressive, hasn't he? And I think the potential was always there. You could see when he came to Liverpool, he already had sort of the build and the. The mould to be a really dominating striker, but he, you know, he didn't really get the chances at Liverpool, understandably, given who was in front of him. And then, even when he did play, you know, he struggled to get that first goal, didn't he? I think in the end, it comes on the final day, doesn't it? Possibly against Brighton. But yeah, you you could see what why he'd made the strides he had at Chelsea, and you could see why Liverpool wanted to to bring him in. And then, you know, I think the price tag surprised a few when he went to Bournemouth. But I think you, you've seen over the years how how he's built his, his game and his confidence and. And now he's added to it, and, and the goals have, have been pretty frequent for him for a number of seasons now, hasn't haven't they? Initially in the Championship first off, but then, you know, he's he's brought that into the Premier League, and and now he's just you know one of, you know, a really good group of, of number nines that you don't really want to face when when they're on form because you know they've always got a goal in them, and and I think with with his set of attributes, you know, he can cause. Defenders' problems with with the physicality, with the height, but also he you know he has got a bit of pace pace about him, and and when you get him in the box, you know he's he's shown that he's a cool finisher. So yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I didn't expect him to to sort of be at you know the levels given the lack of chances he was sort of getting, and then that initial period where he where he goes to Bournemouth when it just looks like they might have wasted a bit more money <laughs> and helped Liverpool out a little bit more. But no fair play to him. He's um, again, it's another. 
show of of what happens if you give a young player time, and and eventually when they they hit sort of those peak years and those peak ages, then that's when you know you see them in the full form, and that's when you see the true potential, and, and that's what we're seeing with Solanke. I think all the feedback I got when he was at Liverpool was that he was really admired, and they loved him as a kid. I think you, sometimes when people sometimes look think oh. You know why didn't it work out for him at Liverpool? It's like he was only nineteen when he arrived. You know he he barely he played I think one senior game for Chelsea. It, you know he'd had like a loan spell I think at Vitesse Arne and he was very raw. But they loved his attitude and his application, and it was just just the way things worked out really in terms of the competition for that central striking role. With of course Firmino would have been a, you know the first choice at that time. Sturridge was still there. Origi. Um, so it was, you know, he had a solid enough first season where he, I think he played about 27 games, only six starts, but was a really useful off the bench. As Andy said, got his goal belatedly against Brighton on the final day. And it was only that second season really where he had injury problems that meant that when Klopp would have called upon him, he, he wasn't available. And it was all very amicable. I think that's why, you know, you'll see a lot of hugs and stuff when they're reunited with him again on the weekend because uh, he was a popular figure and everyone, absolutely delighted for him that his career has taken off in the way it did. And Liverpool got really decent money for him. Was it 19 million rising to 24 million? I think it was. And that 20% sell-on clause. And it will be interesting to see whether that does pocket Liverpool anything in the coming months and and years, really, because um, you'd imagine with the scoring streak he's on, other clubs would be looking at him. Well, they fell out really badly with Chelsea over signing him and um, <laughs> would it surprise you to see him pitch up at Chelsea again and take some more cash off them wouldn't surprise me wouldn't surprise me uh, well it's important Andy that we keep the we keep the pressure on City isn't it because you know Kevin De Bruyne is back you know we, we, we know that this is going to be a period where they're going to come on strong this is the crucial part of the season yeah, you want to keep your your nose out in front, don't you? I think, and especially with the the manner of of, of uh, City's win, and, and yeah, as you say, having having the brain back and and Haaland, you know, will be on his way back soon enough, I'm sure as well. It, they're looking like they're getting into that that second half of the season mode that we've seen so often. But what we do know is that Liverpool can stick with it um, and stick with them. They have done before. Okay, maybe not this group of players, but you know, you have to you only think back a couple of you know a couple of years ago that that City. At one point, had sort of a ten-point gap on Liverpool, didn't he? And I think Liverpool had a couple of games in hand, but you know, Liverpool were able to claw that back. So there's no reason why they can't go toe to toe with City. And yeah, it does look a little bit ominous that that the brain cameo was <laughs> was a little bit worrying. But at the at the same time, you'd expect it. I think everyone has been saying all all through the first half of the season, yeah. But we know what City can do. We know that they can reel off a. 12 games on the bounce and I think for Liverpool it's just a case of still at this point focusing focusing on themselves and as as Klopp sort of sort of said when he's been asked you know let let me know in uh, let give me your title questions in in sort of April and I might answer them um because until that point you know there's no point talking about it you've got to keep yourself in the race and and it's just about Liverpool focusing on themselves and and trying to ignore what City are doing because you know that's I think that's one of the things that that Arsenal struggled with last season is that the they couldn't ignore City and eventually it became too big for them the moment really and, and City just carried on doing the, the business and, and Liverpool have just got to carry on doing their own business and, and hopefully that that keeps them toe to toe and then you, you look at that bit, you know, the big game where City have got to come to Anfield and if Liverpool's still in the lead there then, you know, you you would you would fancy Liverpool massively 
but uh, you've just got to expect City to win every game, and therefore Liverpool, you've just got to win every game, and um, and that's the mentality, and not have slip ups like the well, they had a lot of slip ups last year, but not have games like last year at Bournemouth where, from minute one, you just thought, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, James, I mean, they're going to be dangerous. We don't want to repeat a last year. I mean, that came on the back of a 7-0 victory over Manchester United. We were all bouncing in there, we thought. This is it, you know, the march to the end of the season has begun and, you know, and all of a sudden we fell off a cliff. Um, can't see it happening this time. How would you see it playing out? What do you think the team will be? Um... Yeah, I think you would like to think that it would be a very different game to the one down there. What was that back in March, wasn't it? Only, what, six days was it after sticking the seven past Manchester United? And that summed up where Liverpool were at at that time, you know, capable of lifting it on a one-off occasion and putting on a show, yet didn't have it in them to deliver consistently. And Liverpool are a very different beast now. But they do command respect, Bournemouth. I think I think he probably hasn't got the credit he really deserves Iriola in terms of the, the job that he's done there because you go back to what was it probably mid-October you know I think they had like something like three points from nine games and and of course you know it had been quite a controversial appointment with you know, I think a lot of people had huge sympathy for Gary O'Neill and the way he'd been treated at Bournemouth and you, you kind of thought to yourself well it always feels like Bournemouth are a little bit punching above their weight anyway and and is it going to properly unravel for them? But yeah, he's he's done a he's done a, a brilliant job since then. When you think now, what well, they safely in mid table, looking like they they'll have absolutely no issues in the the second half of the season. Play a really eye catching brand of football as well. You know, Liverpool had a tough game down there in the League Cup when it took a a bit of absolute brilliance from Darwin Nunes to settle that tie. So yeah, it's it's certainly certainly not going to. I wouldn't. I'd be amazed if it was straightforward because. Bournemouth are in are in a, a you know a decent vein of form themselves. Um, yeah, I think you know it, I don't think there'll be too many changes team wise. I think we, we will know more at the back end of the week whether Zabozlai is ready to come back in. Of course, he missed the last two matches with that minor hamstring issue, but Bournemouth away was was the game that he was targeting. So um, so that would be one to keep an eye on. And then obviously Andy Robertson's been over in Dubai doing some warm weather training, just waiting for the green light to resume contact. So both Robertson and Simicast were on course to, to be back involved by the end of January. So this one will obviously come a bit too soon for them. So yeah, I think, I, I don't think Klopp will be, be changing it too much from, from what we saw against Fulham. Of course, Trent still being out means it's probably going to be a Premier League start for Connor Bradley. Yeah. I think anyone who watched him play with such maturity at both ends of the pitch against uh, Fulham, wouldn't have any concerns about seeing him thrown in. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's the equation for the weekend. Liverpool do the business to stop KFC doing any business. <laughs> That's it from Walk On, yeah, Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Remember to catch James at the match after Sunday's visit to the Vitality. And we'll be back next week before the Carabao Cup semi-final second leg. And hopefully looking forward to booking Liverpool's first trip to Wembley this season. The Athletic.